0: Hello and welcome to Politics Laid Bare with Tim O'Hare. My name is Tim O'Hare and today we've got an esteemed guest, uh, Dr. Augusto Zimmerman. Dr. Augusto Zimmerman is a legal scholar and author of a number of books and journal articles, including the four-volume Christian Foundations of the Common Law. Augusto is a former law reform commissioner with the West Australian Law Reform Commission. Augusto teaches law at Sheridan College and holds an LLB, LLM, and a PhD from Monash University. Augusto Zimmerman, welcome. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, Ting. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Very good. Thanks for inviting me. Well, my first question really is about this contentious religious discrimination act. Um, Mm. What should voters be aware of? Uh, Should it be implemented?
1: Well, look, I think it's a very uh, dangerous uh, piece of... uh, Legislation, if eventually become uh, a legislation. Uh, it is based on the idea that um, religions, in general, must receive the protection of the law, but at the same time empowers an unelected body, namely the Australian Human Rights Commission, to exercise uh, power over religious discussions in general. We know that the Australian Human Rights Commission has a despicable record of violating human rights. You, you see, for instance, as, uh, uh, to what happened to those students at QUT when they were falsely accused of racism, when they were actually fighting against racism. So we have also a president of the Australian Human Rights Commission who absolutely abhors freedom of speech. And it was even saying that we should monitor conversations around the dinner tables because she's unhappy that people can have private conversations without being monitored by That's the government.
0: That's Triggs?
1: Yes. That terrible uh, commis- uh, president of the Human Rights Commission, uh, that really was a, a reason for embarrassment uh, for this country because she had no, no condition to be the president of the National Human Rights Commission since she doesn't have appreciation for one of the most important rights of the individual, namely the right to freedom of speech.
0: Well, I'm interested with the uh, Religious Discrimination Act. From outsiders looking in, it appears like it is actually driven by Christians and conservatives. Uh, but mm-hmm. from what I understand with you, uh, there is legitimate concern if you are on the right side of politics and if you are a Christian, perhaps, or a con- conservative, there is legitimate concern towards the Religious Discrimination Act. So what, wh- who is pushing for it and why are they pushing for it? I
1: think in many ways Christians can uh, play the role of the useful idiots, I think at the end of the day, this anti-discrimination law will be used as an instrument of persecution of Christians. But of course, because of the naivety of so many uh, Christians, they believe that the law will be protecting their rights, which is not the case whatsoever. It's actually the other way around. I think what's happening here is that um, uh, some uh, groups... Uh, who uh, basically wish to be more protected, will be certainly taking delight with the enactment of this uh, bill. And one of these groups happens to be the Radical Muslims, because they have, for a long, long time, planned to introduce a form of Sharia law by stealth in this country. They think that uh, it is uh, immoral and blasphemous to criticize certain tenets of their faith, and they will use that to silence any criticism whatsoever of the political aspects of the religion.
0: So how would the Religious uh, Discrimination Act, how would it advantage uh, radical Muslim groups, for example? Well, first of all, it seems that uh, the premise is absolutely wrong, that
1: they have no right to have a problem with certain religions. I think some religions are actually quite dreadful in my opinion. I wouldn't like to employ a person who happens to be a satanist and advocates child sacrifice, for instance. So the premise that every single religion needs to be protected and people who embrace this religion uh, not suffer discrimination is, plainly speaking, quite stupid. It is actually based on moral relativism, and the fact that some of the Christians have been contaminated by postmodern ideology might be one of the reasons for their support to this terrible piece of
0: legislation. There is, um, I'm I'm very interested because, from from my understanding, uh, you're representing uh, perhaps a a non-left criticism of the uh, Religious Discrimination Act. But traditional Mm -hmm. left-wing groups such as the LGBT lobby, they have uh, complained that the Religious Discrimination Act uh, could give a license to bigots to discriminate. Um, Mm -hmm. What do you make of those concerns?
1: Well, look, uh, perhaps they are not uh, the religious people who can perhaps... uh, Uh, receive some sort of undeserving protection. So that's the main reason perhaps as to why they are expressing such concerns. My concern is not about what they think on the subject. Uh, My concern is about extending rights and freedoms for all in Australia. And I think we are taking the wrong way. Uh, For a conservative government to introduce further anti discrimination laws that tells me perhaps two things. One is that they have no idea what is to be a conservative, and second is because they have been perhaps influenced by uh, left wing ideology, uh, and that's a result of Gramsky's idea, Antonio Gramsky's idea of the long march through the institutions. Some of these so-called conservative people, they are actually leftists without even realizing that they are advancing left-wing, left, left-wing causes. I'll tell you, the best way to deal with this matter is to actually extend rights and freedoms, individual rights and freedoms, and not have the government telling me what to do, telling me who I can employ it and allowing even bigots to express opinions without receiving a very deserving criticism I must say.
0: So there is some concern I think uh, particularly in the wake of the Israel Falau case that Christians Mm -hmm. do feel marginalized, they do feel that the media, that the political class, that the entertainment class and the universities are against them and they do think uh, there is some i think they do think that uh, that people are against them and they need some kind of protection uh, i'm yeah. interested if you're sympathetic at all to any of that and whether what an alternative measure to protection could be
1: well i think we need a restoration of freedom's act rather than have a religious discrimination legislation we are actually taking it the wrong way it's simple as that Uh, By the way, the prime minister of this country has a track record of not appreciating freedom of speech. Think about when he was the treasurer, when he made that appalling statement that as the treasurer he was not concerned about discussions involving uh, Section 18C of the, the Racial Discrimination Act. He said that free speech doesn't give a single job to discount which is obviously wrong, what he said. But um, it tells me that he doesn't really have such a regard for matters of freedom of speech and freedom of association. When he was told about the fellow case, by the way, Scott Morrison's first reaction was to condemn Falou. I have this in my computer. His first initial statement was to say that Falou was very sensitive, that he should never have said what he, what he said, that it was really bad. So he was in favor of Rugby Australia and against Israel Falou. And that's the sort of person who is leading this process of enacting this bill that can actually further undermine rights and freedoms of the Australian people in general, and not just Christians.
0: That's interesting. I agree uh, Scott Morrison does not have a great track record on freedom of speech, and I actually had a question about Section 18C. It seems to me it, w- it was an election uh, commitment uh, when the Tony Abbott was in opposition. Uh, he, yeah. he committed in 2013 to repealing eight, uh, Section 18C should he get re-elected, uh, of course, yeah. we know that did not happen, but it remained Liberal Party platform uh, throughout the Turnbull and now the Morrison years. What has happened with the ATNC debate? Because it seems to have gone quiet uh, recently.
1: Yeah. Well, if the government is so, if this government is so incompetent that they can't make a single minor change with a single provision. Why on earth you are going to think they are going to do a good job in enacting a whole legislation on the subject? Uh, Section eighteen c was so simple to be resolved. It was just to say that uh, we should not have a right to feel offended, but if someone uses real threat and violence, this person should receive the full force of the law. So what I have explained to many people is that these uh, sort of laws, they are used by bigots to silence debate. So rather than being a law that you protect the tolerant people against, uh, um, you know, unfair uh, discrimination or unfair comments, the result of these uh, laws is uh, quite the opposite. Uh, The more intolerant you are, the more bigoted you are, the more you feel delighted in use these laws to oppress people
0: and to silence debate. It is as simple as that. So I want to uh, backtrack a little bit, and I just want to get to know a little bit about your background. So uh, I, I understand you've got the PhD in law. Why, why mm-hmm. law? Why law?
1: Well, look, I have always been a person who has a concern for matters of justice and that the advancement of the common good. But because I am humble enough to know that I'm not perfect, and I have, I'm have, i being quite far from that, by the way, the best way to approach these matters is to give people freedom to make decisions and to trust the people of this country to have freedom to engage themselves in political debates, for instance. In a democracy, free speech is a, mo- a most important element. If we start to undermine the right of people to express their opinions, we are moving from having a normal democracy to have an elected dictatorship. And perhaps that is the movement that you're taking at this very point.
0: So I also understand uh, you're from Brazil, Uh, What brought you to Australia? Well, look, in many
1: ways, I got quite divorced, spiritually speaking, uh, from the country because I was an academic teaching at uh, Catholic University and other universities in Brazil. And I saw the reaction of my fellow academics when they uh, were told about the terrible news that uh, America was under a terrorist attack on September 11th and the fall of the Twin Towers, uh, the collapse of the towers. Rather than really having a regard for an appreciation for the victims of that terrible tragedy, they were actually rationalizing on the subject, saying that the Americans deserved to receive that fate. And I thought that I couldn't be among such wicked people, and I was completely disgusted by their behaviour. that's when I ceased to want to be an academic over there and moved to Australia and starting my new life as an academic in Australia.
0: Do you find uh, Australia more open to free thought uh, and discussion? No, quite to the contrary. I actually start, I'm starting to
1: have more hope for Brazil than Australia at this point because at least there I feel comfortable to open my mailbox and not receive bills from the government or some sort of fines. And uh, of course, I also feel that I can say things over there that I can't say over here, even though what I have to say is coming from a classical liberal perspective. I think that many people in this country are quite afraid of expressing opinions. I think that there are too many people trying to suppress other persons' opinions on the basis of ideological considerations, and this is totally totalitarian and deeply
0: unacceptable. So you are the author of the four-volume Christian Foundations of Common Law. Uh, to what extent has Christianity influenced the common law?
1: Well, look, it was very uh, in, in a very deep, important foundation initially. You think about the principles of equity, the idea of due process of law, and many other ideas. Uh, actually, they were inspired by... Uh, Christian uh, jurists, such as uh, Edward Cook, for instance, or Sir Harry de Bracton, or perhaps Blackstone. And these people not only were excellent jurists, but some of them were theologians as well, and some of them were members of the Church. The whole idea about equity is that ultimately justice must always prevail, and it's better to have one guilty person being released than to have 100 innocent people in jail. Uh, It's very important to have uh, the idea that we have to be careful about preserving the principles of natural justice and due process of law in our circumstances. And I say so because I know that in this country one of the major problems we are facing is parental alienation, and false accusations even of domestic violence for the purpose of obtaining advantages, unfair advantages at the family court. So we have uh, people committing suicides on droves in this country. And you have people losing property rights without being guilty, but being victims of miscarriage of justice. So we are lacking, miserably lacking in the rule of law at this present moment in this country.
0: Okay, so with the, you are a Christian, is that right? Yes. And I'm, I'm interested, you're a Catholic Christian? No, I'm not. I'm actually a, a
1: Presbyterian. Perhaps that makes me a little bit more of uh, classical liberal, and I believe in the revolutionary principles of classical liberalism. I think one of the most fundamental rights of the individual is to resist tyranny and oppression.
0: Oh, okay. Th- that surprises me, because I was going to say, it's, it's quite interesting, this sort of intellectual legacy with Catholicism uh, historically seems to been associated with collectivism with the trade union movement whereas Mm -hmm. protestantism has tended to be uh more classical liberal the great classical liberals like john Stuart mill came from protestant backgrounds so yeah it's interesting Mm -hmm. you uh you share a denomination and an ideology with uh the yeah. classical liberals.
1: Thing, thing, I navigate. I navigate in our areas. I must say, and I am considered one of the leading authorities on the subject of social Catholic teaching. Even one of the my books, one of my uh, books that I have edit, edited, is actually on the principle of subsidiarity, which is a an excellent principle base of the Catholic Church, basically saying that you should never give to the state what the individual can do in a better way or at least same level But we should never give to the Commonwealth what the state can do in a better way or at least doing the same sort of um, outcome, achieving the same sort of outcome. But ultimately what we think that we should do is taking responsibility for the actions that we uh, decide to take. And that's the principle of subsidiarity. I have written a whole book on the subject and edited uh, uh, with the collaboration of Catholic thinkers on the subject.
0: Okay. And Brazil being a majority Catholic country, uh, was it mm-hmm. hard being a Presbyterian there? Or
1: Well, look, to be frank with you, it's no longer entirely Catholic. Only about, I would say, 65% of the population is Catholic now. Uh, there are uh, millions and millions of evangelical Christians now in Brazil. And I think this is actually good because as a good... Uh, liberal, I believe in competition as advancing and improving things. I think what the Catholic Church definitely needs to have is more competition in this area of religion, because when it happens to be so, they improve the quality of their services, including in the expression of their faith.
0: So I want to turn back to, uh, we did touch on the Human Rights Commission Uh, and Mm -hmm. Gillian Triggs and her abuse of power. I am interested, Mm -hmm. would you favor uh, an all-out abolition of the Human Rights Commission?
1: Well, you know, uh, the the Human Rights Commission has been doing a pretty dreadful job. I think in many ways, rather than um, guaranteeing that the rights should be protected, we might have people who actually embrace rights that are perhaps coming from a different uh, generation of rights, which conflict with the natural or fundamental rights of the individual. So rather than favoring those rights that have been considered uh, fundamental rights of the human beings, we have this commission trying to protect so-called rights of the collective. And some of these rights actually are privileged to be conceded or, or to be granted to certain groups on grounds of biological considerations. That is akin to what we had during the Nazi regime, where people would receive rights on biological considerations. Could be racial, it could be religious. It's always bad when treat pe- tre- we treat people differently. So one of the elements of the rule of law is that everybody should be treated as much as possible equally before the law.
0: That's interesting. You're, um, you had the article in The Spectator, we need a restoration of freedoms bill, not a rel- yeah. not religious freedom legislation. So, tell us about a restoration of freedoms bill. What would that look like, and what would that entail?
1: I think it would entail uh, stopping monitoring what we do as citizens and stop stop treating us as children of a benevolent nanny state. I think what we have to do if this government was truly liberal, if this government was truly conservative, to start repealing bad laws. I think we have already too many laws in this country. There is no need to, to add another uh, piece to the equation or to add more garbage to the garbage being. I think what you need to do is to start repealing laws and giving us more freedom as a result rather than adding more junk so what we already
0: have. Now you do mention in another uh, article in the Spectator uh, a quote here. Rather than uh, expanding the scope of unelected bodies and creating more discrimination laws, this government should enact legislation that would give effect to Australia's international obligations to protect religious freedom, and in the context of other fundamental rights of the individual, including free speech, freedom of association, freedom of conscience, and the right to peaceful assembly. So Mm -hmm. international, uh, what would that look like? So uh, international obligations, uh, what are those international obligations?
1: Well, one of the international obligations that uh, uh, we have to be committed to as a result of, of what we did, because we have signed these international agreements, meaning that now we have to somehow respect these uh, agreements unless we want to withdraw from them. But as long as we are committed to uh, respecting these international agreements, we have to bear in mind that no law can actually further undermine the rights that are established by international law. And one of the rights that are clearly established by international law is freedom of association. So if I am an employer, I should have the right to employ whoever I want to work with me. The government shouldn't. And and quasi governmental institutions shouldn't. But if I have a coffee shop and I found out that a Satanist works with me and he's promoting the idea of child sacrifice, I should have the right to think that he's not suitable to be working my place because it is not being good uh, image for my for my business. I find this a whole idea that our religions are the same. Ridiculous, because I think some religions are not only bad, but deserve to be criticized.
0: Would you say that Australia is a Christian nation? It certainly has Christian
1: foundations. That's why I'm not, my, the title of my book is not to say that Australia is a Christian nation, but the title of my book is The Christian Foundations of the Common Law. So this is actually an undeniable truth. Uh, I think one of the reasons as to why we are facing the undermining of some elements of the common law is because the common law originally was founded upon Christian principles.
0: Because uh, I suppose I, I think with the Religious Discrimination Act, perhaps if we were a more Christian nation, perhaps it could work. But the issue I see, yeah. like you mentioned, is uh, because mm-hmm. of the principle of equality before the law. Uh, mm-hmm. it would have to equally apply to other religions, uh, such as Islam. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I, I think that uh, that's the major flaw in it, is that it, it uh, protects all religions equally uh, due to the current system.
1: Uh, I think uh, the more that the government tries to fix things, the worse it gets. So how about repealing everything and, and trusting the people of this country to make the right decisions? I just want to be able in a democracy, to express my opinions and be respected for that. And as I say, these laws are an instrument of bigotry, of intolerance, and they will be inevitably hijacked by religious fundamentalists.
0: What is the role...
1: Of all all variations, by the way.
0: What is the role, really, of uh, international law in a majoritarian democracy? What is the role of international law. Should that come before democracy or...?
1: Well, look, uh, I I think above all the will of the people of this country should always prevail. Uh, I see no problem in, um, provided that the principles of federalism and the constitutional uh, order of this country are not being compromised, to be somehow engaged in certain international agreements. But bear in mind that this is based on the voluntary will of an elected government. And Australia has, and it can, withdraw from bad arrangements. So, international law, at the end of the day, is subject to the will of the Australian people. And if you feel that this is compromising, fundamental rights or the sovereignty of the Australian people, I think we should just uh, send the message that that particular instrument is not suitable uh, to the advancement of the common good in this country.
0: Okay, so you understand international law sort of sets up guidelines for common values across nations. Exactly.
1: Exactly. But you don't have, and thank God for that, uh, international uh, sovereign state, and this would be a great tragedy if it happened, we still have the capacity to say no to the international community if you think that there is something that's fundamentally important for the well-being of the people of this country.
0: Because I noticed there is the alarming trend in recent years, uh, less so in Australia, but certainly in the United States and elsewhere, where uh the judiciary uh, in some cases rivals the power of the elected uh, representatives. I think that would be very alarming for Australia to go down that path.
1: Well, that's why perhaps it's not such a bad thing at the end of the day that we don't have a constitutionally entrenched Bill of Rights in our constitution. I think one of the greatest tragedies that are inflicting countries, including Brazil, my native country and certainly the United States, is named called judicial activism. It's the idea that judges can somehow update the Constitution according to the changing needs of the society as perceived by the unelected members of the judicial elite. And that is a very bad approach to constitutional interpretation, and I believe it's actually a dishonest approach, because we can change the Constitution by amending it. If the Constitution is not as amended, as the elites would like to see, it's because the people do not want to be guided by these uh, social engineers. It's as simple as that. We should do everything we can to appoint judges who interpret the document in a literal way and according to the intention of the drafter. Any other form of interpretation that's not taking into account the text of the law and the intention of the drafter is actually um, a bad interpretation and perhaps even a malicious one.
0: Yeah, the argument against a living constitution interpretation. The constitution should be interpreted literally.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, the, the Canadian court, court even came up with this uh, strange idea that the Constitution happens to be almost like analogous to a living tree. But Professor Jeffrey Wordsworthy, who is an outstanding legal philosopher, says that even this analogy cannot be entirely applied to certain uh, circumstances because you cannot, for instance, do certain things with the tree. You are going to kill the tree if you cut off the trunk. I think um, radical tree surgery should be done by the elected uh, representatives of the people in parliament. It should not be done by unelected judges. They can prune the tree, but they cannot insert new branches to the tree, and certainly they have to be very careful to not plant another tree and kill the original one.
0: What do you think of the... There's been a push by both sides of politics to acknowledge uh, Indigenous Australians in the Australian Constitution. What do you think of that?
1: I think it is totally wrong for a simple reason. The Constitution is a federal document separating powers. There is no mention to any sort of ethnic group whatsoever. By adding these, we are actually creating racial divisions rather than uniting the people.
0: Yeah, I'd agree there. I mean, my understanding of the Constitution without being a legal scholar is it's a it's a manual, it's a rule book. Uh, it's not designed to uh, sort of promote uh, certain values or anything. It's just uh, designed to govern uh, how these institutions should play fairly, basically.
1: Absolutely. And it is to say that what the constitutional arrangement says regarding the powers to be allocated to the different uh, members of the Federation, the tiers of government. So for instance, the Constitution explicitly states what the Commonwealth government can do and reserves the other powers, they say, continuing powers that should then remain with the states. It's actually just to separate the powers uh, between the Commonwealth and the states And that's the only reason as to why we have such a document. The Constitution of the States could actually go a little bit further than that because it's not a federal compact. But the Constitution of the Nation is a federal document separating the powers between the Commonwealth and the States.
0: I'm interested in... uh we're talking about judicial activism and I think we were also talking about uh, the Human Rights Commission and I think they tie in together. What I think we're seeing is the left often uh, taking over non-democratic institutions uh, in order to, from what seems to me, to impose their ideology. uh, What do you make of this? Why are they choosing quite often to infect Uh, non-parliamentary institutions, is it because they're afraid of losing in an elected democratic contest?
1: Uh, There is no doubt that this would be one of the reasons, and certainly it's because if they fail to convince uh, the people of their intentions, or if the people simply reject them, they might find that, as I mentioned before, judicial activism or the uh, help of the judges, uh, or they can find perhaps another alternatives to overcome the problem by, for instance, ignoring the result of referendums, such as uh, what happened recently in England, in the United Kingdom. Uh, so, in the United Kingdom is a good example because uh, people have decided for a Brexit, and then. The elites were entirely unhappy with that, you know, that this was not the will of the leadership of these different political parties in Britain. And they started to do from day one everything they could to frustrate the will of the people. And that's a very terrible thing because if you can't have democracy operating, you're basically inviting people to even act rebelliously. Uh, the idea of democracy is exactly to prevent a violent clash of ideas. And the elites despise so much the people by creating even anti-discrimination laws uh, that imply that we are a bunch of bigots, a bunch of intolerant people. Uh, They create these things because they don't trust the people anymore. And that's why they have to ask the assistance of certain bureaucratic agencies and unelected judges to do the, the work for them that the people has basically said no on many instances and occasions, including v- via the process of referendum, such as in, in the United Kingdom quite recently.
0: Now, with the Religious Discrimination Act, there is uh, the provision that there would be the Religious Freedom Commissioner created as a result of that act. Now, uh, I notice you have uh Called attention to the problem that there could be someone hostile to religion appointed to that role in order to Mm -hmm. uh, split uh, split religion uh, religious groups and also uh, reinforce Mm -hmm. uh, non traditional interpretations of religion. Uh, Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate a bit more on that? Well, look, um,
1: the main problem with this is that we end up having we will inevitably have a person who is going to um, enact encyclicals in this regard. I mean, this person will be the equivalent of the Pope in the Catholic Church. He's basically going to say what is the right interpretation for that particular religious text, what is not the right interpretation for that particular religious text. We are actually giving... Uh, to this commission, the role of dictating uh, things related or matters of religion to this society. It's really a, a very terrible idea that has entirely backfired in Victoria, for instance, in that notorious case of the two pastors, uh, Den- the in Alaya and Daniel Scott uh, case, where they were brought to uh, the uh, Equal Opportunity Commission of Victoria, VCAT, on the grounds that they have somehow uh, incited violence or discrimination against the Muslims. Uh, the judge proved himself to be utterly incompetent to decide on matters of religion because he's not trained to uh, know theological, difficult theological questions. Another problem, even if you choose a theologian to occupy this particular uh, position is that um, even in the, if within the Christian community we have different variants of the faith, we might have liberals, you might have conservatives. Why on earth, this person, you have such a supreme authority to dictate what should be done? when it comes to matters of religion. I think it is really, really appalling. It's almost like establishing a sort of theocracy as a result because we are empowering the government to have the final say on
0: theological issues. I see. So, because inevitably, uh, I mean, the, the... Christianity, uh, just looking at one religion, is so diverse. So inevitably, if you have a Christian appointed uh, as religious freedom commissioner, there's no way they could represent all Christians. So I guess what no. you're doing is mm-hmm. you're empowering uh, one particular sect of Christianity, and you're giving them license to dictate what the Christian position is.
1: Absolutely. And let's say let's say just uh, as a, an example that these. Uh, a particular uh, Christian uh, who is appointed then to uh, the position of the religious freedom commissioner supports the idea that there is nothing in the Bible condemning homosexual behavior or condemning same-sex marriage. That potentially can force every single conservative church in this country that claims to be upholding a different interpretation of scripture, accountable for just doing what they, their conscience dictate. So rather than providing for more plurality of opinions and diversity, this is going to impose homogeneity and oppression as a result.
0: Uh, the conservative commentator Bernard Gaynor uh, said that the religious discrimination bill could lead to wali Waleed Ali being appointed religious freedom commissioner. Uh, could I was making a joke, team. He was making a
1: joke, <laughs> he making it all, but he's not. He's not far removed from reality. I think he 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 knows uh, what can happen with to people, because as you know, team, he has been the victim of these uh, uh, extra legal
0: parties. It it does seem like. Uh, the certain there is a certain class that get appointed to uh, the human rights commission. They they're not a very yeah. diverse bunch, despite uh, preaching diversity.
1: No, but you know when you have a, cons- a so-called conservative government such as the current one, they never appoint people who we would expect a conservative po- uh, uh, government to to do to appoint. I think we have in many ways. Uh, made very bad appointments to these um, uh, several bodies. But in the end of the day, it's not so much about who we appoint, but the fact that these uh, uh, agencies or bodies, such as the Australian Human Rights Commission, exercise such an extra legal power because it operates in many ways beyond the limits of the legality. Even I can say to you that, Alfred, uh, these dicey Uh, the person, the greatest constitutionalist of England in the 19th century who developed the contemporary principles of the rule of law would be pretty appalled about what's happening. This is because he believed that we should never move from the judiciary certain issues that are uh, perhaps so delicate that should receive the authoritative and final decision coming from uh, member of the judiciary. But all these things have to be done according to basic rules that uh, the uh, government is intending to reverse such as the idea of the owners of the proof never be inverted. We should not inverse the, the honours of the proof. We should preserve the honours of the proof to those who make the allegation. And the, unfortunately with these uh, sort of bills, the honours the honors of the proof is inverted and the person who accuses receives the protection of the state and the person who is being accused, if not found guilty, and if is even found to be completely innocent, because the process is a form of punishment he will perhaps eventually become completely financially destitute which is a form of oppression it's also what we call in the legal uh, jargon the chilling effect of this sort of legislation is to silence debate because even if you win because of the financial difficulties involved involved you end up losing at least losing your assets as a result.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I think there are wider cultural issues at play. We have a certain uh, victim culture where if you're offended by something, uh, society almost Mm. deems you to be correct and uh, deems Mm. you to have some kind of moral authority if you are offended. Uh, What do you make
1: of that? Well, more than that, I think in many ways because you don't have to bear responsibility for... The accusations you made, the government is actually incentivizing a culture of litigation. I believe the government is responsible for the current status quo, the current reality of people feeling offended so easily because this sort of legislation actually incentivizes people to behave irresponsibly.
0: We've seen in recent years what I like to call non-state totalitarianism, where there's forms of censorship being driven by corporations, by the media, public petitioning. What, if anything, uh, should be done to combat this?
1: I think we should start to understand the philosophical underpinnings of these laws to not be so easily deceived Uh, appealing to my Christian faith, I can say now that uh, people perish for the lack of wisdom. And I think in many ways for a so-called conservative government to be advancing such a terrible law that can actually really, as I mentioned, cause all these unintended consequences. It tells you a lot about the intellectual capacity or ability of the ruling political elites in this country. I would uh, dream for the day that you start electing better people to our parliaments.
0: What about those of us who are outside of parliament and don't have uh, too much influence? Uh, What can we do? Uh, besides well, electing people, is there something we can do culturally uh, to make Australia more free and open and uh, d- debate to be tolerated? I
1: think we should, of course, social media helps a lot. Uh, unfortunately, Scott Morrison has said just another day uh, when we had we faced those terrible news about um, about what happened in in uh, Christchurch when. Uh, that um, uh, uh, individual uh, terrorist attacked that mosque in Christchurch uh, and committed that terrible atrocity. The first reaction of Scott Morrison was to call him a right wing. When, as a matter of fact, that terrorist was, uh, then we found out later, that he was quite left wing. He was a supporter of communism, for instance. He had statements in praise of China. That doesn't sound to me like a right-winger at all. Another thing he's saying is that social media should be controlled because because of right-wing extremism. Well, to be frank with you, left-wing ideas have caused far more death and pain to the West than right-wing ideas. And I would even add... So the fact that uh, the official name of the Nazis was National Socialist Party, and they were a collectivist uh, ideology. They embraced the idea of the state above the individual. And that's quite, in my opinion, socialist, even to the point that Hitler had made statements in support of uh, Marxism. He thought that in many ways he had something to learn from Marxism.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It seems to me uh, like the right don't necessarily uh, look after their own. I think the right quite often uh, throw each other under the bus to save face. Yeah. And, uh, Scott Morrison calling the shooter right wing. Uh, I think yeah. that's a case in point.
1: Yes, absolutely. And very responsible thing to do, because he uh, didn't have the assessments to the facts that, that were
0: at this point not available. So I suppose we are come to the end of the podcast. My final question is just, do you, w- what is your outlook on the future uh, with, uh, you know, the role of law, uh, the stifling of free speech, sh- censorship, uh, more and more laws uh, being written each day that uh, really do, at, at best, they make Australia less efficient. At worst, they actually stifle how we live. Uh Do you see a turnaround? Do you see this improving at all, and how?
1: Well, now I have to appeal to my beloved uh, Irish lady. I married with an Irish woman who I love very dearly. Uh, It seems that there was a certain politician from Ireland in the 19th century who made a very important statement that was even used in my native country by a political party to advance the causes of classical liberalism. The phrase is very uh, simple, or the sentence. The price of liberty is eternal vigilance. We have to be vigilant, and we have to actually uh, be proactive. I must say to you, thing that if you're not happy with the things as they are, do it by yourself. I think what you need is to stop expecting others to do what you can do by yourselves. I think we should start having people with more uh, passion and commitment to the well-being of the people, and be willing to make a sacrifice. Let's stop, stop with this culture of staying, uh, watching television on Saturday, and let's start to do what, to think about what we can do to make a different reality, and to be fighting a good fight, because that you give far more excitement than to be at home doing nothing. Thank you. Who was that Irish
0: politician, by the way?
1: Well, that's a very good point, but I think you can find on Google. You can Google uh, this uh, sentence and you'll be able to find the name of this person. It has been so often quoted over the years. And even though he was the first to say such a thing, that is fantastic, by the way. It has been repeated. Perhaps even we, uh, Churchill might have used this as well. Other politicians all over the world have used that when they are trying to remind the people that in order to be free, they have to be vigilant.
0: Augusto Zimmerman, we're out of time. Thank you for
1: your time. Thank you so much, Dean. Keep up the good work, and I'm always available to talk to you, and have a wonderful weekend. Thank you very much. See ya. Thank you. Bye-bye.